0: Hey, welcome to the horse hour podcast we're at the national equine forum it's the 28th forum this year hearing from experts and right now my guest is david Rendell, and he's going to be talking about worm resistance and why we need to take charge of worm control the National Equine Forum today and you'll be hearing from guests such as Zach Bannum hurd who's the Behavioural Insights Team, Kirsty RSPCA Inspector and my guest right now is David Rendell he's a council member of the British Equine Veterinary Association and also a clinician at the University of Bristol. How are you David?
1: Yeah very good thank you, yeah very good. Well I
0: think out of your accolades my favourite thing is that you've been a guest on the podcast before so welcome back.
1: That was the highlight so it's nice to be asked
0: back, thank you very much. (laughs) Um, Today you we're doing a, a talk at, at the forum which is great and you're talking about worms and parasites there's a bit of a, a, a quite a big word for it that I can't even say how would you describe it?
1: So antelmintic resistance uh, which is a long word that helminths are worms posh word for worms and antelmintics are the drugs that we use to treat worms.
0: Oh, okay. And so what's your talk about today?
1: Uh, So it's about the problems that we face, which are under-recognised with resistance to these treatments for worms. So we've been using drugs to get rid of worms in horses since the 1960s Mm. uh, because we keep horses in quite an intensive situation now. So they spread parasites more quickly than they would in the wild. So we need drugs to prevent them from getting diseases such as colic and weight loss. So we've been using these drugs for 50-plus years. And because we've been using them very frequently, the worms, who are smarter than us, have worked out how to evade those uh, drugs. So by process of natural selection, those that are able to survive the drugs continue to breed, and then all the offspring are then resistant to those drugs. So we're now in a position where we've got parasites that we can't treat, and that obviously causes us uh, a lot of problems, and it's going to cause us far greater problems in the future.
0: So what sort of damage can worms do to the horse?
1: Uh, it depends exactly which kind of worms. We've we've got two that cause us real problems. We've got uh, ascarids, which are a problem in foals, and they block the intestine uh, in foals and weanlings and cause them to colic and potentially to die. And then in older horses, we get more more problems with another kind of roundworm, cyathostomins, which are small round worms, small red worms. People call them lots of different things, which is a bit confusing. But they're they're smaller parasites that affect the large intestine in very large numbers and they will cause damage to the gut lining. So the horses lose weight. Uh, they can become dull, can become colicky. They lose protein. So they get lots of swellings and uh, accumulation of fluid under their abdomen. And sadly, uh, they get diarrhea. And sadly, that too is also potentially fatal.
0: So, if you had a horse that had either of those worm burdens, how would you expect to treat that?
1: Yeah. So that's the nub of the issue. Really, is the way we used to treat worms was to uh, dose them with a an anthelmintic at a period around the year. So typically around four times a year. In young stock, people would do it more regularly. Uh, And we did it without a great deal of thought, to be honest. Uh, We were obsessed with preventing disease in individual animals and trying to eliminate those parasites. But we've been unsuccessful in eliminating the parasites. And what we've inadvertently done is just taught, for want of a better word, all of those worms how to survive the wormer, Mm. um, such that we're now in a position that 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 strategy is not sustainable. And also we've got to be a bit more canny about working out which drugs are effective on which different properties. So what we try and do now is only treat them in accordance with clinical needs so if the horse has a very high burden of parasites and we're worried about that individual horse developing disease then we would choose a wormer accordingly well that's what we would like to happen but the the problem and the the crux of my talk today is the fact that that isn't happening in the with the majority of of horse owners not the majority of the question properties and people are still worming far too frequently which is just storing up problems for the future.
0: I think we've got a middle of this um the kind of owners are, are stuck between a rock and a hard place because the worm programs are very much led I found by the livery yards so whichever livery yard I've been on it's been the the owner that's dictated what worm program they're on so I for example as a livery yard owner have taken the worm counts so we worm count every three months But interestingly, I was told to worm in March and September for insisted red worm and for tapeworm. And now, after talking to you, I'm thinking, well, maybe that's not right either. Maybe I should be doing the testing for that instead and the counts.
1: So, yeah, and I I think this is a potential source of difficulty in that the, the advice is often perceived to be different from different people, even if most of us are singing from the same hymn sheet. And there are subtle differences in how we would approach different properties depending on Uh, their management, the ages of horses. So I would want to go into a bit more detail about what is going on on your property before deciding whether those recommendations are right or wrong. And the the important thing though is to reduce the use of wormers as much as we possibly can. And if we can do that through more testing and we now have more and more testing available, then we absolutely should do that. Um, There's a perception among owners that that can cost more money. That often isn't the case. And in the long term, actually, it will save the money because they will be using a lot less wormer but they yeah, just re- they need to engage with, with an expert, preferably a, a veterinary surgeon, and go through the, whole, the management on their property and come up with a system that works best for them, that continues to protect the horses on the property but reduces the use of worm to an absolute minimum and encourages diagnostics. So typically in terms of diagnostics, we would be doing worm egg counts like you say you're doing, but typically focusing them through the grazing season from when it starts to warm up, so February, March, through until October, November and there used to be a school of thought that the minimum we should give would be wormers twice a year so spring and autumn my view is that that still is too much if we're if we're using diagnostics appropriately we now have really good diagnostics in addition to the faecal tests we have blood tests as well that we can use to look for uh, roundworms and for tapeworms if we're using all those things properly we can further reduce wormer use potentially to zero or very close to zero uh, in adult that's, horses
0: that's interesting because again i i, I thought presumed maybe I presumed and I think a lot of this is is hearsay and learning from what other people do which is why I'm grateful that we get to speak to you who someone who actually knows what they're talking about <laughs> the, the question is I presumed we're looking for a zero count but I've heard of people having counts of 200 and and not having to worm for that so what are the levels you know should we expect a zero or does it matter if there's a few because whatever we say David it's horrible to have worms I know because I've had horses that have had them they've arrived with them they've I've had horses that have been bought and come with worms I've had horses that have moved on the yard with worms and it's a really horrible thing to manage but equally it's also really embarrassing and and I we shouldn't be embarrassed about it but I guess it's understanding what's okay what's normal and learning how to deal with it and managing it properly.
1: Uh, yeah, so you highlight a number of problems. We need to absolutely change that perception that worms are bad and horrible. That worms are there. We just accept it. Horses have always had worms. Uh, we will never eliminate them, so they're always going to be there. So the key is to just keep them at a safe level that's not putting our horses at risk. So we need to get over this stigma that we we have to try and eliminate worms. It's it's just not going to happen. And actually, we want the population of worms that are sensitive to the drugs that we're using, uh, rather than having a population that are resistant. So the presence of sensitive worms is actually a good thing, because we've we've then got worms that are breeding in the environment that aren't concentrating the number of resistance genes. So much better to have a population of susceptible, treatable worms than a population of resistant worms. So yeah, we, we need to accept that horses have always had them and always will have them. We just need to keep them at a safe level. And primarily that's through management, things like collecting faeces, maintaining sensible stocking densities. And then when we need it, we can use drugs to try and reduce the numbers to a safe level. But in terms of worm egg counts, absolutely a worm egg count of 200, 250 is fine up to that level. That's the normal cutoff that most people will use. Some people, and I think we're going to have to accept this is going to become the norm as we find it harder and harder to kill these worms. Uh, some people will look at counts up into the high hundreds and there are some feral populations that are quite healthy where they'll be shedding egg counts into the thousands. So even the 200, 250 limit is extremely conservative. Um, but even using that level, we know from a number of studies that have been done that we, if we use that level of cutoff rather than just treating every every horse on a property, we will reduce the amount of worm that's used by about 80%, which is obviously... A massive reduction which is good for everybody
0: and I guess we've got to take into consideration what we're doing as well as the worming so poo picking the fields where do you put the manure making sure that any any worms can't go back into the pasture so that horses can eat them again the size I'm guessing the size of the area that they're grazing you know are they grazing around their manure all the time are they going to eat the worms again once they've shed them so there's quite a lot to take into account isn't there
1: yeah, there is quite a lot, and I think that does cause some confusion, and sometimes horse owners switch off because it does appear complicated. But actually, the key messages are pretty simple, and you've just highlighted common sense things that drastically reduce the amount of wormer that needs to be used. But yeah, man- management is the key.
0: Yeah. So the ultimate goal then is that nobody will be worming. Unless we really, really, really have to. I know that with some wormers, you can count them through their manure. So you just take a little parcel, pop it in a bag, send it to your vet or send it to someone like Westgate Labs. You know, they post it. It's so easy now. They do a postal service. You can post it and within a few days, Mm -hmm. you can get the results back. Um, But how do you do the insisted red worm, which takes, what, six months for that to come through? And the tapeworm? Um,
1: Okay, so the insisted red worm won't necessarily take that long to... Insist. Uh, we test for that with. There's a, a new blood test that's been available the last 12 months. So that gives us a level of, of antibodies that the horse is raising to to that parasite. So we've got an indication from that antibody level how many of those parasites are there. So we can use that as a guide to treatment in addition to worm egg counts. And similarly, the tapeworm test is either a blood or a saliva test. And again, that's looking at antibody levels, and we can use those antibody levels to guide. What level of parasites there are there. So, if we've got a very low level of antibodies and we've got a low level of parasites, then we don't necessarily need to be treating either for encysted red worms or for tapeworms.
0: Amazing. So, do you think we should be testing for that every year? Should every should every horse have a blood test? for insisted red worm and a saliva test for tapeworm every year?
1: I think initially, yes, until you've got a good handle on the property. I'm reluctant to get sort of drawn into specific recommendations because it does depend on the nature of the property, the management of the property, the age of horses that are being kept. And most of what we're saying applies to adult horses. Foals are slightly different because they're more susceptible. Uh, So... Yes. Uh, As a rule of thumb, that is about right. Um, Over time, potentially we could reduce the amount of diagnostics we were doing if we were confident that the property was being managed well and there wasn't a high burden of parasites, which obviously over time helps to further reduce cost. Um, The blood and the saliva tests are fantastic, but for some people they're possibly even the next step down the line. What we really need to do as a first step is get everybody using fecal tests, worm egg counts through the summer and not routinely worming through the grazing season so if we could move everybody over to using fecal tests through the summer we could reduce our wormer use by about 80 percent if people are then prepared to do the blood test as well and we can reduce it even further then that would be fantastic but uh, anyone that isn't using fecal fecal tests through the summer and is just routinely dosing according to the calendar really needs to stop because they are they are storing up problems for themselves and their property in the future
0: and where does pinworm come in because that's only something I heard recently, last year, for the first time.
1: Yeah, so pinworm is a more of a frustration for owners uh, than it is for, for us as vets or clinicians. It, it's frustrating, it's irritating, but it's not life-threatening like these other parasites. So it's become more of a problem for people, again, probably because the parasites are becoming resistant, because we've been using so much wormer for so long that pinworms have also modified genetically and can now evade the wormers that we use. And as a result, the worms we're using aren't killing them. So, pinworms live. Adult pinworms live in the in the rectum, and then they come out and they lay eggs around the horse's perineal region. So around its around its anus, and then those eggs are in a in a a mucousy gel that the parasite secretes, and they're really itchy. So they cause horses to itch, but they don't cause any more serious disease than that. And that's not to trivialize it, because some horses can get quite sore with rubbing, but. Compared to what we were talking about with stiathostomins and ascarids, pinworm is is an inconvenience rather than something that's fatal. To be honest, we don't have great ways of treating multi-resistant oxyuris. So that is a lesson for the future. We can't get rid of pinworms. And that causes a bit of bottom itching. It won't be long before we can't get rid of these other parasites, which cause colic, diarrhea, and death.
0: It's horrible. Well, thank you very much. How did you come up with these? Um, how did you guys find out that we were becoming resistant to wormers? Is it is it scientific testing, or or do you do surveys? Like, how do you find out this stuff?
1: Well, every every owner should be looking every year on their property. In an ideal world, and again, that's a message that needs to come across because people just don't know that. So it's very simple. We we um, We check worm egg counts, we give a wormer, and then we check worm egg counts again two weeks later, and we see if those wormers are effectively reducing the number of worm eggs. So every owner can do that and should do that, because just about every owner has a degree of resistance on their property to at least one class of wormer. So if they can establish what they've got resistance to, then they can make more rational decisions about how to maintain the efficacy or the effectiveness of of the wormers that we've got left we've we've always been got out of jail in the past by having a new class of wormer coming through to which nothing was resistant but there are no new classes on the horizon so we don't have a get out of jail card anymore. It's
0: hard to know, David, where we can find the best information without being marketed to. So, you know, it's like when you look for feeds, the feed company is always going to sell their products first. Um, it's confusing enough to know what wormers to go for, uh, you know, because there's so many different wormers on the market. One of the things I was told previously was it's okay, you can just use a different make of wormer. So year one, you use equest and pramox year two you use something else year three you use strong p and that can prevent the the resistance but from what you're saying is that no (laughs) we need to stop the wormers completely and use the worm counts because they're they're getting resistant to everything so where can we go then to find the most up-to-date information that's that's factual
1: uh, yeah, that's a really good question, um, and it and it is tricky. There are resources out there, and you're absolutely right to be sceptical because a lot of the information you will get has a slight commercial slant to it, and the companies that are manufacturing and selling uh, wormers are doing a much better job of talking about targeted treatment. However, they still do have to maintain sales of, of dewormers, so there's always an element of compromise, and I think most vets would like to see dewormers used a lot less frequently than most of those programs would advocate. So I would say the best course of action is to speak to the vet that looks after your yard because they will have they will have a good understanding of the management on your yard and they will be able to tailor uh, a system that is going to work for you and minimize the amount of, of dewormer that you can use. I think it's a lot of owners think they have quite a bit of knowledge about worming, but it is a phenomenally complicated subject if you really get into it. You just... You look at the number of different parasites, you look at the number of different drugs, the number of different brands within each drug class. uh, And it is it, it really is impossible unless you're it's something you're thinking about and talking about a lot of the time to to really be across it. So, yeah, I would really strongly urge people to speak to their vets about a program that's going to work for their yard.
0: David Rendell, thank you very much. We can watch your talk at the National Equine Forum if we head to their website, nationalequineforum.com. And if you're listening to this later, then don't worry, you can replay David's, uh, David's talk on YouTube. David, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can hear more podcasts from the National Equine Forum at their website, nationalequineforum.com. I speak to Abigail Turnbull from Richmond Equestrian Centre who talks about how they survived strangles. I talk to Zach from the Behavioural Insights team on how we can change behaviour in the industry. And you can see the live streams of every guest speaker at the National Equine Forum website. I'll speak to you soon.